Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Welcome back once again, probably the last podcast of the Iowa series that we're going to do here on the show. This is your boy East Coast Trev. Um, it's day three, day, it's Sunday. I'm not hungover, which is great. I guess it's probably a better thing to do at these shows. Um, I actually, we, as you guys had heard probably a couple days ago or the episode right before this, we had Brady from uh, PRR, Pheasant Run Ridge or Ranch or... Pheasant Run Ranch. Yeah, there it is. Oh, yeah. See, that, we got you. And uh, one of the... You guide for him? Is that yeah, what I, you I do? do. Yep. Okay. Yep. Uh, Mr. Hunter, how are you, buddy? Pretty good. Pretty good. How about yourself? Yeah, hanging in there, man. You know, it's... Like I said, it's day three. It's a good time. It is you know, a good the time. The sun's shining. Like I and I said in the last podcast with with Brady is there's no tornadoes coming through the place and <laughs> yeah. whatever else. You know, we don't have to go hide in the bathrooms today yeah. or nothing like that. Yeah. Are you used to that kind of oh, tornado yeah. thing? Yeah. Being in Kansas, gr- growing up in Kansas, like see tornadoes everywhere, Ugh. all the time. Well, let's tear into it, man. Let's turn this key, put it in overdrive. Tell everybody who you are, where you're from, and what you do. Perfect. Um, Hunter Base. Uh, grew up in Kansas from Kansas. I am a full-time guide. Um, so I got my start when I was probably 16 years old. Uh, dad always had bird dogs. And so we grew up just hunting wild birds and chasing, chasing pheasant quail and everything like that. And, um, he had a buddy that guided hunts and everything like that. And that's how I kind of got into it and wanted had a passion to guide. Um, always had a passion to hunt. I mean, just from a young age, grandpa, my dad, my whole family hunts and we, we live on a small farm. And so that's really where it came from. Isn't that kind of the blessing to kind of grow up in it and and have it and surround it. And those people bring you out and just, you, you don't know any better. You're just building that life that, that you don't even know that you're building yet. Yeah, correct. Correct. And it's like, it's amazing when you can grow up in an area where, you have turkey strutting in your front yard and you can watch deer walk across your tree stands. Your blinds are 200 yards from your front door. I mean, very, very blessed to. Could you imagine your life any other way than that? I couldn't. No, I don't where I'm sitting at right now. Cause I guide for a living now from Wyoming all the way to Florida and everywhere in between. Um, and I honestly don't know what I would do if I wasn't guiding. So how did you? So so you, let me let me get it straight, just so everybody kind of knows. Yep. You you started as a bird hunting guide. I started as a bird hunting guide at a young age, all through high school and stuff. Bird hunting kind of dwindled down. Um, kind of got into waterfowl hunting, 
not so much guiding. I was kind of just hunting for myself and with my friends. Went to college, um, busy with college and work and trying to pay bills and everything like that. Um, I really only had time to deer hunt in college. Waterfowl hunted a little bit. We'd go on crazy trips to South Dakota, Nebraska, whatever, drive all night, but mainly just deer hunting. And I was fortunate enough to kill two very nice, a mule deer in Kansas um, that scored 192 and then wow. a 182 whitetail on, on our family on farm. On your family farm. On our family so, farm. So, so. And, and me being a little naive, being from the east, so you have mule deer right in Kansas? Yeah, and on the western side of Kansas, yep. So that, that side would be? It'd be right on the Colorado border okay. all the way from Oklahoma to Nebraska all throughout there. There's Jeez. mule deer. So, t- so, so when you're when you're doing that, you're glassing those, glassing them, yep. And you're just moving in on them, and yep. Ho- do you normally like run a spotter with you or like that specific hunt? So that specific hunt, I was actually coming back from guiding in Wyoming. Um, it was my first year guiding in Wyoming. I was coming back to finish up school, and I had two days to hunt, and I had some intel saying that hey, there's a big deer in this pasture, and. Uh, I couldn't find them, spent all morning, couldn't find them, couldn't find them. So I actually just put my pack on and just started walking instead of driving the truck around like like I would do in Wyoming in the mountains, right. backpack hunts. And uh, finally found them, bedded them, and went in there without a spotter. I was by myself and got to 10 yards and put an arrow in them. So, so when you say bed them, like you, you literally, and dude, listen, I am so naive when it comes to, I don't have a clue as to how this works. Cause for us, it like we hunt big timber yeah. and it's big wood. So you're not, I mean, spot and spot stock is not really a thing for us. I mean, people do do it, but it's normally in the snow we're snow tracking or yeah, something correct, like that. Correct. Um, so you say bedding them when you, so you get up, you, you see them, you wait for them to bed down. Yeah. Yeah. In the morning. So they're going to come out of wherever they're feeding or whatever. And they're going to go it, up into bed. It's very wide open out there. So they're and it was during the rut. So they were up running around chasing does early morning. And that's kind of it was weird to me that I didn't find them. But they were still standing Milo and some standing corn. And those deer will gravitate and stay inside there where you can't see them at all. Most of the time, Milo, you can see them. But if they're in a cornfield, you can't see them at all. They just live in it. They just live the in it. The same with big white tails. Yeah, yeah, ex- exactly. They get in the thickest stuff and just. Do those two run together normally, or they they, they kind of push will, each other out? They will, but the white tails are is more of aggressive deer, okay. and so it will push the mule deer out. But they will run together. Yep. Because like you, you hear a lot like uh, and I, with and elk, like elk will push out the white tails or the yeah, you know, and not necessarily run together. I'm. They'll be in the same area. The same areas. But the whitetail will be more aggressive. So if you do have more whitetail coming up, they're going to slowly push those mule deer, deer farther and farther. So so, so no spotter, no nothing. You move in on this thing to 10 yards. To 10 yards. So is there like, and I paint the picture, is there a lot of cover? Is there a lot of ground stuff? Are you? I was crawling through grass that was probably a foot and a half tall. Jesus. And it was just, the wind was perfect. There was a little ledge, and he was kind of behind some taller weeds on the edge of a field. And it was just perfect situation for me to crawl up there. And I got, I think I walked uh, probably to 100 yards. I could get to 100 yards. And then after that, it was belly crawl or on my hands and knees, crawling all the way to him. And 
my dad, he, he was supposed to be out there with me. He had some work issues and stuff like that. But I called him up and I was like, dad, I just, I just stuck a huge mule deer at 10 yards. He's, and he, the first thing he said, he's like, why'd you have to get so close? I was like, cause the closer I kept getting, I was just like, he has no idea I'm here. So I just wanted to get as close as possible just to see if I could do it. Be honest with what you. What if you busted him though? I, <laughs> would try I again? mean, yeah, I would just go try again, <laughs> find another one. But I was just like, I just have that, de- that, that drive in me. I want to see how close I can get to the animal, like how stealthy I can be. It's only going to make you better in the long run because you can see what you can get away with. But I wouldn't try and get away with a a 190. Well, yeah, but I knew I I knew I could find him again or find another one. Right, exactly. (laughs) And that was actually my first mule deer ever. Come on. Yeah. So I set the bar pretty high. Um, Have you followed up with something equivalent to it? I have not because that was kind of my last really hoorah before I started guiding full time. And like I said, I started in Wyoming. Like I was coming back from Wyoming on that hunt uh, to finish up school for the spring semester. And so after that, I went, I, I graduated in May and I had the truck, my trailer hooked up, ready to go. And I left for bear camp as soon as I graduated college that, that year. So, so you do bear camp in Wyoming? Yep. Yep. And so we have a, I work for SNS Outfitters and Guides in Wyoming and we have spring bear, fall bear season, but usually go up there in spring bear. And I guided spring bear up there for five years. I actually gave this year up just because I'm getting more into training dogs and everything. But I would go up there for the first four years. I'd go up there, hunt spring bear the whole month of May. And then June, July, and August, um, we'd just be getting camps ready, getting horses ready, training horses helping different ranches that we lease, branding and everything like that. And it was just, it was awesome because it's like you're living in a tent or a cabin all summer long, no cell phone service. It's just, you're up there with you and maybe two other guys just working on stuff and training horses. So it's a full-time, I mean, training horses, like you're, you're training them to ride or training pack? Them to, and- training them to ride and pack mostly. And just, just to get these horses ready for our clients that are coming in, making sure they're, dead broke horses so you mean you don't start two days before the clients get there no or, no or? it's a it's a long process a long process to getting everything ready because you got we're the largest outfitter in wyoming and uh getting we have nine different camps in wyoming right now we just picked up another one and so getting all those camps some of them are tent camps some of them are packing camps some of them are cabin camps that we can drive to on private ranches it's like it's just we have this broad array of, of everything Jeez. to get ready for. Getting the, roads ready so when it does snow or does melt, we don't get stuck back in camp with the trucks and everything. That's nuts. Yeah. What, what do you think was probably like the craziest experience in the couple of years that you had been out there working with those guys? Oh, I have a lot of stories. Really? Yeah. What do you think I mean, one that first one to come to mind? Oh, the craziest. I mean. Especially being, I mean, you're in the wilderness. I mean, honestly, okay, the first one that came to mind. Like, when we were, that first season I was up there doing spring bear, I was just a bait. I was just baiting. Okay. We bait, and we sit at the baits, and I just baited for these guys. And there was four guys. We did four hunts. Um, and 
each we eat every client we have a, a guide with at all times like sitting in the blinds and we hunt in the afternoon we bait all morning we eat like a big lunch type dinner deal and then we go out and we sit all afternoon and probably the the first thing that comes to mind is like my first year up there we get done with baiting and everything we get some horses out because all the snow is melted it's not really muddy and they're like we're gonna take you on a ride we're gonna go to the top and i'm like the top of where like we can get all the way up it looks like there's cliffs and everything oh yeah we can get horses up there and riding on trails where it's like drop off on your right hand side and they're like and then it's like a straight up cliff on the other and they're like just a little goat pass or yeah, something? Yeah, pretty much. It felt like, I mean, you look at them now and they're really not that bad after you ride them every once in a while. But like the first time experiencing that, it was just like you're puckered up and you're like riding without your feet in the stirrups. Like you're just sitting there like, oh, please. Oh, please. Like, <laughs> just keep going. Don't <laughs> yeah. look over. Don't look over. What if the horse freaks out or whatever? Well, the case and, that, and that's what everybody was like. And I had horse experience before prior to that, but... um it was one of those deals it's like i know this horse is feeling my energy so like i need to be calm but it was like again like how do you i've stay never calm? yeah how do you stay calm when <laughs> you can just fall so what's at the top when you get up there beautifulness really <laughs> I, I, I don't know how to i the best way to describe it but it's just it's amazing when you get up to the top and you can just see and so we're south of jackson hole wyoming grand tetons are there and when we got to the top, you could see the Grand Tetons. Jeez. And it was like you could see the Grand Teton. You could see all the mountain ranges. I mean, you the feeling of being on top of the world, it's just it's something else. That is it. it yeah. And then watching the mule deer herds because the mule deer migrate out of there. And at that time, they were coming back in. So watching these mule deer, just herds, droves of mule deer coming in, it's just something else. Watching the elk, the elk go up high as soon as, like, all the snow melts they're working their way up so it's like you're passing out going up here and it's like that's where they're going to summer at and just watching all that seeing bears come out of dens like getting up high there where like the snow's still some somewhat deep in places and watching them coming out of their caves and in their dens and everything so it's wow. just it's it's unreal feeling and especially even coming from kansas i mean it's a that's a beautiful country in itself yeah, but it, it has its own thing it's, being in the well, mountains being flat i mean yeah. kansas being flat it it's god's country i mean there's god every state has god's, god's country, country to be yep. honest with you and that's <laughs> that's area without concrete or buildings or anything like that well but, that's what we think is god's country yeah, right? So yeah. other people maybe not right yeah I exactly mean, they might think that concrete and all that is god's country but I don't know. We have our own different. We yeah. We have it different <laughs> yeah. than everybody else does. That's crazy though. It, had you had any like crazy experiences as far as like those like near death experiences, especially being in Wyoming and the bears and so on and so forth? So one that comes up to mind, like uh, it was my second year guiding, so it had been my third year being spring bear hunting. Um, but second year guiding, we had a bear come into the blind with us what? snuck up behind us it was a sow snuck up behind us and i i heard something like they're very quiet for as big i mean mm -hmm. it was she was a big bear and for as big as they are it's amazing how quiet they are when they're coming up and she came up behind us and i just happened to kind of look i thought i heard like a stick break or something and 
I just happened to like slowly turn my head and look and she her nose was a foot away from me and we were sitting in like natural built blinds I mean we just pile up sticks and we're watching I mean you focus on the bait or around the bait because that's they're going to come we're drawing them out of heavy timber down right. to us so usually they don't come up behind us but she came right behind us like a foot away from us and i she saw me move kind of caught my eyes and stuff and she like ran off to the right and come came around us and went up to the bait and then kind of and then scattered off after that but she, what kind of like went through your mind like what were you thinking I, the first thing i thought of i was like i don't know i, I mean like is she gonna attack us like and i the first thing that popped up was like i didn't even reach for my gun i was just like i I felt self like helpless i mean and i just like the and the really the first thing i did was i tapped on the my client i tapped on his shoulder i was like as she's running around i was like that bear was a foot away from us like i had no idea what we were going to do i was just helpless so you normally carry a sidearm obviously yeah and we um we do carry we have bear tags as guides um so if we do need backup shots or if we have a bear come at us charge us but black bears really aren't aggressive i mean they can be if they have cubs and stuff but they really aren't an aggressive animal just more of a curious very curious very curious and their sense of smell i mean i have buddies that trap and stuff for a living and they've kind of explained it to me. I haven't done a whole lot of research, but their smell is like forty times greater than a dog. So they know. And, they know that you're yeah, sitting over so the bait. Yeah, and so it's pretty much when you're sitting out of bait, they know you're there, and it's their curiosity is what brings them in, essentially. And I, like I said, I I've guided a long time, yep. guided a lot of bear hunts. I might not be the expert on it, but it's their curiosity that brings them in. You can. The scent control, nothing. I mean, they know you're there. And their stomach probably gets the best of them, too, though. Exactly, you exactly. Know, they're hungry. Yeah, they're they not can't. Those, skip a meal. Yeah. <laughs> that sugar in that barrel, all that barley and grease, like, they can't resist it. That's nuts. That's absolutely. How do you get all that bait up there, though? Pack it in on our backs. Jeez. In the springtime, most of our uh, baits are, we have to be, like, 200 yards away from a stream or a road. Okay. Or a trail. Um that's, that's law. That's law. That's okay. law. So most of our baits in the springtime are between 250 to, I would say, 800 yards away from a trail or where we can get a four-wheeler or a truck or something like that. So we're not walking too much, but it is steep country. I mean, it's you're walking uphill most of the time with the bait, and it's like, and then when you come back, it's like you're walking downhill empty. It's like, I wish we could change this up. <laughs> I wish we could really? get on top of these baits. Yeah. So we're walking downhill heavy yeah, exactly. and then uphill <laughs> light. But that's just the that's just the nature of the beast because that's where all the roads are at the bottom. So it just works out that way. Yeah, but oh. we do have a couple baits that are like I think we have two baits that are probably a mile in there just because they they produce. I mean, it's it's tough to get in there and it's steep, long mm-hmm. walk and everything like that. And so it's always like rock, paper, scissors, like who wants to run that bait today? Right. Or every other day or whenever we do it. But it's like rock, paper, scissors, like everybody's taking their turn on the long, long haul with two five-gallon buckets filled with bait. So how many of you guys are in camp that are working? Um, there's usually four or five of us. Okay. Usually so have it's a some, pretty big outfit. Yeah, yeah. And 
we usually have four to five hunters in camp every week for three weeks. We do three weeks in the springtime. And the success rates? Um, Are you trying to shoot bigger bears? We are. We're trying to shoot bigger boars. Okay. Um, Really don't really try not to shoot south sometimes it's hard to tell um but we really want to shoot our, the boars and just keep the sows around because that's what's gonna keep, keep bears around right obviously you're just matured yeah mature deer hunting just Ex- picking them out right exactly and yeah every once in a while we'll, we'll get a sow just because she does look like a boar but and that's another reason we sit with your clients like we try our best to tell them like because if you're coming out bear hunting, you've never been bear hunting, you've never seen a bear, a cub walks out and you think it's the biggest thing in the world. Until it gets next to until the barrel. It gets to, until it gets next to the barrel. Right. And and some of the guys are just so focused on that bear that they have, they're not judging it size-wise. They're just like, oh my gosh, that's a bear. Where we're sitting there beside them, we're like, that's a little bear. <laughs> like, take your, put your safety yeah. back on. <laughs> Hold yourself. Put, put your gun back down. Like, we're not... We're gonna wait for a bigger one, and and that's that's like they they say like for us like for myself like the East Coast guys coming to the Midwest to hunt for deer for the first time that first one twenty five one thirty that comes by you think it's a one eighty because yeah. you don't really see those type caliber deer no and you gotta like hold on hold your paces let's let's, let's calm check down. this out <laughs> yeah. and see what actually happens and that's that's absolutely nuts and you probably had clients that have just pulled the trigger on something oh. and just you're like. Uh, what just happened yeah yeah it's like and essentially it's their hunt i right. mean we i can do whatever i can i mean there are situations like we like sow with cubs that's illegal um that's illegal that, yeah you can't cannot shoot a sow with cubs with dependent cubs so even if the cubs almost the same size as the mom if they're still dependent you can't that's illegal. yeah it's illegal and so which is good because right, of yeah because i mean boars will come in and and attack those cubs and try to move them away and it just and those cubs they i mean it's habitual like they'll they'll keep coming back they'll stay in that area so if she's produced if the mom mom dies or something happens to her of old age may get shot and because it's all public ground so it's not just us out there um those cubs will stay around the sows more more than the boars right. the boars will go out and find their own kind of territory but and it's amazing how fast a boar like a new boar finds that territory oh like, really like after you harvest one like a big buck yeah yeah and it's like you'll have a new boar in there within the next two days so now those clients can get on another yeah, one exactly and move yourself on. that's pretty cool man i couldn't imagine the experience though of like especially being a kansas boy and then going out west and hunting that like what what made you now now you said that you you're gonna kind of slow back on that and you're gonna kind of move towards something else yeah so i've, I've gotten into a lot more dog training yep. um upland hunting and so Kind of falling in those footprints. Yeah, and so what drew really drew me, so I I graduated from Kansas State University, and what really drew me, I went um, for the Wildlife Outdoor Enterprise and Management Program through K-State, and great program. Like, if you want to do something in the outdoor industry, I mean, great program to go through. Professors are great. They're still there since I, I mean, I still keep in touch with both my professors. They always want to know what I'm doing because there's, there's a handful of us that are actually doing what I'm doing, like traveling for a living, guiding for a living and everything like that. But 
getting back to my, and those, my hold on one second. Those programs are made and built for what you do for the outdoor industry. Yeah, that's incredible. They're, they kind of focus it more towards like running, owning, and operating an outfit more than just guiding. It's not like a guide school, but it's more of owning and operating. So, so a the lot business of, side a lot of, of business it. classes, a lot of hospitality, and then a lot of biology also. So you know. That's what to cr- plant, what to do. I didn't want to interrupt you, but I think it's kind of important that everybody hears that there is a program out there. Yeah, and it, Wildlife Outdoor Enterprise and Management, um, K-State, Kansas State University, Manhattan, Kansas, um, offers it. And I think Auburn has a very similar, and there's more schools. There's there's even community colleges. I know Pratt had like a two-year program that was very similar to it. So if you didn't want to do like the four-year route, wanted to go to a smaller school, not pay as much, like there's other options out there so so you really benefited from doing i did i i did business wise honestly business wise i really benefit i had the hunting down i right been hunting my whole life i didn't need you were built into it yeah i didn't need someone to tell me like well this is this is how you hunt this is how you guide i didn't need that and that's what really i didn't want to go to a guide school they have guide schools everywhere out west and i'm not saying they're bad at all. Just I, not what you it's just not for. what I was looking for. I wanted more of a business side. I wanted to figure out how I could own the outfit. So is that what you're trying to do now? It, yeah, essentially. Right now, I just kind of like freelance guide. I just, I, I don't want to be tied down to anything yet. I'm 26 years old, and it's like, I, I kind of just want to go wherever the wind Experience blows me. Experience it. Yeah. And, yeah. and I, so I just. I get it, man. I totally understand what you're trying to do because you want to work underneath some of the best people to build it, yeah. your resume to be what you want to be. Man. Correct. Correct. You're just and, taking those right steps. And I've worked for a lot of different outfits. Like my resume, I could put it on five pa- pieces of paper. Right. Just everybody that I've worked for. And it's like some people look at that and like, man, you move around a lot. Like, do they not like you? I was like, you can call every outfit on that, that piece of paper and they will say, yeah, we wish he would just stay around forever. Like, but he's just like a nomad. He's just like, I want to go see what, what's over here, what's over there. And I get calls all the time like, I'm never not busy. If, right. If I don't ever have downtime because if someone finds out I have a week off or two weeks off or something like that. They want you to go guide they, for them? Yeah, they want me to go guide somewhere. That's awesome. I like sitting here at the show. Um we're selling deer hunts, turkey hunts, and pheasant hunts for Pheasant Run Ranch. And sitting here at the show yesterday, I just got a call from a outfitter I work with in Florida. Um, I spent three years in Florida um, running bird dogs down there for quail. And I just got a call from him. He's like, hey, man, my guides down here, they're like, they're kind of like wearing down. They're like done with the season. And I'm, And he's like, can you be down here in like the next week or so? And I'm like, yeah, I'll be there. I was like, you need turkey <laughs> season's gonna start. Yeah, up, Yeah, turkey. Right? Yeah, so we're we'll be finishing out quail season and then rolling right into turkey season. And so I'll, when does it, when does the quail season start down there? Uh, so it's it's release quail. Okay. Yeah. So, so you can hunt it 365. They, they, yeah. So well, not 365. Middle October, I think it starts. It's okay. Very similar to like the put and take pheasant hunts and. Se- south dakota kansas anywhere like that it's october to march is is your release and you can you're on controlled shooting areas is what they call them csas um and you can shoot birds anywhere between october and march hens roosters 
all the quail, chucker, whatever you want on those areas. And that's what Florida's down there. And people, I mean, the snowbirds, these guys that, that live in Michigan or, or up there and they hunt the north, they hunt the woods up there and they want, and then they come down to Florida all winter. They want to hunt. And it's, it's huge down there. Quail hunting is huge in Florida, which a lot of people don't know. No, I had no clue. Yeah, no a lot clue. of people don't know, but it is huge. So what kind of ground are you hunting down there, though? Um, They're big palmetto forest. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So That's got to be pretty nuts. It, you a go little through, bit different. Yeah, you go through and you chop all those palmetto. It's just oh, like an ocean of palmettos. You go through and you chop all those down and leave little thickets of palmettos, just 10 by 10, 20 by 20, whatever you make. And that's where the quail live. And they just pile right in there. Yeah, they just pile right in there. And then you go and you shoot them up. Mm-hmm. That's nuts. So these, I, so virtually, the guys, all the retired old snowbirds come down there. Yeah. And they just want to keep it going. They just want to keep it going. Like I, I had regulars. I mean, they, they hated that I came back to Kansas and started doing pheasant hunts more in the Midwest because they were like, Hunter, it was so nice coming out like once a week and hunting with you and it was just like someone going to their hair appointment. It was just like they were just going to their Those quail are your buddies. Point. Yeah. That's so cool, dude. So you do you bring your own dogs down there? I or, do. or they have their dogs? Uh, no, I they do have they do have a kennel full of dogs, but I I train my own dogs and I have I have seven dogs at the moment, English setters and German short hairs, and then I also have English cockers. So what what's a, what's an English cocker? Uh, it's a flushing dog. So it's a little bit smaller. It's, yeah, it's about the one I have, my main one, Dolly. She's about 18 pounds. And they just flush. And, and yeah. They run tight like a lab? They they heal. Okay. I have them heal on heal at my side, and then we'll walk around or be in a buggy. Okay. And my pointers are out there just running like wild men. And uh, they're out there running. They'll go on point. We'll walk up to the point, and then I send dolly and give her command she goes in flushes all the birds up and then the pointers and the and the flushers they start retrieving everything that's and nuts i barely i've got to the point where i barely even have to move like all the dogs just bring all the birds back every time that's nuts so so you don't even because like when i pheasant hunt i've always had pointers and you would they would point then you would flush the bird yeah and they would stay pointing and then they would go and retrieve the bird and then come back to you so you've actually trained yeah, I, ha- dog, I have dude. a flusher to go in there and do all that for me. That's like all that. That's like the perfect world, right? It is. It is. And honestly, I would have never got into flushers had I not been in Florida because it's a big South Georgia. I mean, Thomasville area, very well known for quail hunting. I mean, huge quail plantations down there, and that's these English cocker. That that's what they use is these little English cockers to go get these quail up and. I've implemented, like, so, like, going back, I was in Florida for three years guiding quail hunts. And then last year, I did not go back to Wyoming to train horses or help out on the ranches. I actually went to Weatherford, Texas, and uh, trained bird dogs with Klein Strickland. Very, very good dog trainer. Trains a lot of guide dogs. Um, He's getting more into the trial stuff, but he's been doing it for probably 35, 40 years. Wow. Just has a huge kennel full of dogs, but... I mean, just hunting dogs. We're not, I mean, we want dogs that'll go out and find birds, whether that's in South Texas, West Texas, Florida, wherever we may be. Like, he, I mean, he really focused on the English pointers, and that's what I I trained a lot of. So those are those big 400, 500-yard ranging dogs, and then you have your English 
point out or you have your German Schwarriers and usually they're a little bit closer. A lot of guys use them for pheasant hunts. So we have this huge wide array of different dogs. It's like, it's that's fun. nuts. And so do you, when you guide in Kansas or whatever, do you're hunting back home, do you run the same type of spread with, with I, all I the do. dogs? I do. So then Dolly goes out and Dolly, flushes up the it, and pheasant. It, it's, it's cool. So I got into training dogs. I was like, I looked at all these old cowboys that I was I was riding horses with, and I'm like, they get off their horse and they're hunched over and they're 55, 60 years old. I'm like, I don't want to be like that. Right. And I figured out like dogs were way easier, <laughs> way easier to maintain just everything. I'm like, I think I'm gonna go to dogs. Got hooked up with Klein, great mentor. I mean, taught me everything I know. And then I kind of now this year I'm just kind of breaking out on my own. And I wanted to get back to the Midwest because. I love Florida. Don't get me wrong. I love quail hunting down there. I love turkey hunting. Everything. Like I said, I'm going back in a week. Right. Um, but it's so far away. I'm, I'm not. I'm not gravitating back. I don't. I mean, I tried. I didn't want to be in Kansas. I want to be in Texas. To be honest with you. And just because Texas is a huge state and there's everything. It does everything. Yeah, it does everything. And I'm six hours away where I was living. Six hours away from my parents' place in Kansas. So. I could wake up at five o'clock in the morning and be there by lunchtime. And, but I just, everybody found out I was back in Kansas and they're like, Oh, come guide for us. Come guide for us. Come guide for us. And so I had a lot of different ops offers to go guide, but, uh, stick with, I stuck with pheasant run ranch and Ringneck ranch in Kansas. So you're going to run. So this season you're going to run with two different ranches. Yeah. And the, well, this last season, okay. That's the last season. I so what are you going to do this season? Uh, well, I'll stick with the same ranches okay. come come bird season. But like this other outfit that I guide every once in a while, Scattered Acres, like I'm gonna go help them this summer. It's like and just bounce around. I'm just and they're all within like a two hour radius of like where my parents' place is, and then where all these other outfits it are. But it's like everybody wants like a little piece right. <laughs> of of help. Right. And but it's it's nice because I'll be doing a lot of farming. And then for their outfit and then um, training dogs on top of it. That's nuts, dude. So so and what kinda, is what is the future for you that holds? Like, are, are you looking to have your own place in your own guidance uh, service or? Uh, eventually, I'd like to have my own kennel, my own dog kennel and kind of just, just train stick dogs. on the dogs. Yeah, kind of just train dogs and then go guide pheasant hunts and just stay or, on or quail hunts or yeah. whatever now do you get to hunt with the guys sometimes or Every does once it take all, away because i know guiding takes away from what what you really want to be doing right yeah every once in a while they'll be like hey grab your gun like you're coming Let's have some you're fun. Gonna, yeah you're gonna shoot with me today and uh and you know you you start get you get the same guys or you get comfortable with them after three days of hunting with them so you're like they'll miss a shot they'll miss a shot and they'll and then you give them rasm a little bit and then it's like well you grab the gun and it's like man that's a lot of stress on that's a lot yeah. of weight on your shoulders because yeah. like now i can't miss yeah yeah <laughs> i'm the guide i'm teaching yeah. them or showing them the ropes and, and then now I'm, i miss yeah and, i'm razzing yeah. them and everything like that and now i miss and it's yeah. like oh yeah now they have ammunition on me right well i mean the nice thing about about running dogs is that that in itself is a success right it's not oh you know yeah. like 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 deer guiding or bear guiding i mean it's great and when they shoot their big bear like it's a huge party they have funerals for them and everything like it's great but running dogs when i was running dogs i'd rather run the dogs than actually hunt oh i did and that's why i've gravitated like 
I could have stayed in Wyoming, made a lifestyle out there, did done big game the rest of my life. But I started getting back into the dogs. And, and why I ended up in Florida is just because I wanted to go do something different. I've done the Kansas pheasant hunting. I done all, did all that. So when I, when I first went to Florida, like, there was a job opportunity. I had one dog at the time. They had a kennel full of dogs, and I was like, I'm going to get back into the dogs. And it was there was offer, there was offer in Florida, and I was like, I, I want to go see a different country. Like, I'm not tied down to anything. It's like, I'm just going to travel. Went down to Florida, loved it. Was there for three years. and But getting back, I know we're kind of all over the it's place. but That's um, normal around here. <laughs> yeah. But uh, getting back to why I wanted to come back to the Midwest, it was like, when I wanted to go deer hunting, like, Florida has deer. They have nice deer, too. But nothing that I grew up around. You right. Know? Yeah, I mean, nothing beats Your a, heart is still in the nothing, big whitetails. Nothing beats a Kansas whitetail or western mule deer. And so it's like when you have to get on a plane and fly across country just to go deer hunting, and it's like a three-day deer hunt turns into a five- to seven-day deer hunt just because of travel or you have to drive two days. It's like... I'd much rather just be centrally located where I can go to Florida if I want to, but I can come back and be right in the heart of deer country. And not miss out on anything. Or turkey country, pheasant. Yeah, not yeah. miss out on anything. Which and is so important. Be 10 hours from the mountains. So so you had the best of both worlds. You're yeah. just centralized and can and go I, and do I what find, you want. I finally, like, I love Florida. I wish I could be down there, but being centralized makes my life 10 times easier just doing what i'm doing because like i said so for everybody like kind of listening to this i mean we are all over the place but essentially i used to like last year my schedule was may 1st we're we'll start in january january i was guiding um quail hunts in florida it was my last year there i was january february and part of march i was guiding quail hunts come april I went, I came back to Kansas and went and guided turkey hunts for three months. May rolled around. I went up to Wyoming, guided bear hunts, and then came back June, July, and August. I was in Weatherford, Texas, training bird dogs, learning how to become, I mean, I made all my own bird dogs, but he, he fine-tuned them. fine-tuned my skills on training them, which huge shout out to Klein Strickland because he was a great mentor. Um, and then September rolled around. I went back to the mountains to chase mule deer and bugle and elk because that's really my true passion is, is archery elk hunting or big mule deer. And so all September I was either guiding an archery elk hunt or I was chasing a big mule deer up there in the mountains. For yourself? No, for guiding. For, oh, yeah, guiding, I go, yeah. went back to SNS Outfitters okay. and was guiding mule deer and elk. How do you find time to do it for yourself, though, man? Well, I, t- I did take two, 10 days off in sep- at the end of September to elk hunt. My dad came up, and we did take 10 days. And we were being picky. They were, they were herded up, so it was tough with the big ones. Mm-hmm. Um, and we, we kind of made a pack. We were like, we don't want rack. I mean, we have plenty of time to go right. do all this stuff. We really just we wanted to – we were being picky and wanted nice elk. Yeah. yeah mature elk and so we had a lot of rag smaller raghorn young raghorns spikes cows everything like that and we had meat in the freezer because we had shot where we had harvested two cows the year before so it's like we didn't need to fill a freezer 
and so we were just being picky and it was just it was nice to be up in the mountains with your old man for 10 days i mean just being just that we couldn't even we, I mean, we could have just left our bows back at camp every day, but it just, just being, yeah, just being up there with the old man, I mean, just brought back a lot of good memories, like young memory, being and he, young and, and stuff. He, and he got to see what you did now. Yeah, and yeah. Well, had he, that been the first time that he had gone out and done that kind of stuff with you? Uh, so he elk hunted as a, as a kid, like teenager. My grandparents always went out to Colorado and they elk hunted and everything. But like just that. not with you. This but was not, your first yeah, this two was, together. Yeah, us two together elk hunting first time. So you were just there for the good old time. Yeah, and he was, and he was too. I mean, we were. It was like, yeah, we have elk tags in our pocket. We spent a thousand bucks on them, but if we don't film, I mean, it's not a big deal. We're just having a good time. That's so crazy. I mean, and and it, and that's and that's one thing. So I like I said, I was guiding mule deer hunts and elk hunts, and then I took at the end of September after I was done with everything, I took that time. And it was so nice to not be stressed out because when you get guys come into camp for five days, it's like you you put a lot of time into scouting, figuring out where these deer are, where these elk are, where the elk are going to be because they're moving all the time. And when you have a guy come in and you're riding up and you start glassing and it's 10 o'clock and you haven't seen anything or heard an elk bugle, and these guys are like, you can just feel them like, cutting through Cut, cutting through you're like <laughs> where are these animals yep. it's like it, it can be stressful mm-hmm. but then it we always make it work I mean, I mean they're paying big money to do and it and yeah it, they it, pay the weight a lot is of, on your shoulder you're yeah. supposed to be that guy and, and so there is a lot of stress that comes with it and so just being able to go with my dad and not like we want to sleep in today we're gonna sleep in or just wake up and watch the sunrise like we don't we don't have to go wake up at 5 30 run to the top of the mountain just to be there and make sure we know exactly where these elk are like i bet you he's so proud of you that he he gets to watch you very envious because he's like yeah because he like every like everybody most people in the midwest you get out of high school or college and just go work a nine to five like that's not a lot of people get i think that's just life in general yeah and and it's one of those yeah and it's not even midwest but just everywhere it's like that it's it's crazy, you know, hearing your stories and unraveling. It's it's incredible. One of the things that I say a lot to a lot of people, and I I do a lot of like posting emotional posts, not really emotional, but like deep heartfelt stuff. Like, yeah. there's something that I say all the time is chase your dream because your dream's not going to chase you. Exactly. You got to go out of that 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 comfort zone. You know, you can be your own person and do what you want to do. And people go, oh, it must be nice. I talked about this with Brady's. It, it, it must be nice. It must be nice. It must be nice that you own a ranch. No, you don't understand that you gave up X, Y, and Z to do what you yeah. do every single day. And and anybody, anybody in the world could do what we do. They could have a podcast. They could be a guide. They could have their own ranch. They could have all that stuff, but they don't want to go and do it. But they want to then say, oh, it must be nice. But you can do the, it too, man. You can. Everybody can do it. It's I bet the you drive. I bet you there's so much struggle that you've been through to get to where you are today. A lot. I mean, I I did get coming right out. I did an internship through that WOM program, and I went out west. I always had a desire to go out west because my grandparents went elk hunting all the time. By the time I was old enough, their health had deteriorated, and they weren't able to go out there anymore. And so, like ever since I was little, like watching their elk hunt videos and everything, because mm-hmm. they my grandma filmed everything 
That's amazing. So VHS is and like pictures everywhere. And it's like, I had a desire. I'm going to go out West and getting hooked up with SNS was huge. They're, biggest outfitter i mean very well known cy gillen is the owner very very well known um but having that start getting started on just a great outfit like that helped me tremendously it made me love it because i had a lot of guys kind of following my path and go up there to wyoming but they were in outfits that weren't as good as cy right most of them aren't in business anymore, but like they just don't have, they didn't have that same experience I had. I had experience like, man, I love this. This is awesome. Like great guys, great company. These guys that are guiding for him are been around for 20 some years. Like he keeps guys around because he's good to us. Whereas other outfits are like getting new guides in all the time. And it's like different experiences. And I just lucked out with a great experience. And now you can just and now and and it opened up so many doors like avenues of like what I can do like I'm pretty much guiding year I mean I I hunt year round whether that be birds elk mule deer whitetail um, turkeys bear and anything that's amazing man well why don't, before we wrap this thing up I got one last question for you man and you've probably answered it ten times throughout this but you probably have a special answer for it and that's what what drives you outdoors hunter just seeing the smile like guiding seeing the smile on people's faces after a, like a successful hunt like that that's what really drives me to be honest with you I get I get giddy I get more, probably more giddy than most of my clients do just because seeing their reaction and everything like that, that's really what brings me outdoors, like bringing kids out, bringing 65-year-old guys out. I mean, it doesn't matter. Just seeing someone else with a huge smile on their face or spending it with family and friends, like that's what really drives me to get outdoors. That's amazing, dude. That's, that's a great answer, honestly. I, I like it a lot because there's not many people who have that passion and that have that I don't even know how to explain it, but they have that love for the success of somebody else. Yeah. I think in, 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 in the industry, not to be negative, but some people, just, they don't have that. They have a jealousy act of, like, exactly. they shoot a bigger ones. So there's there's a special place for someone like you, man, that has that that, well, that passion and that love for it. Bro. And honestly, that was instilled to me by my grandpa and my dad because my grandpa and my dad put more time into getting me and my brother out there and letting us harvest our first animals or being the only ones to harvest animals mm -hmm. that I really like took that to heart and was like, I, I see how happy they get for me when I was a little kid. And then I just keep carrying that on to everybody. Like everybody I take out, it's just watching, seeing how happy they are. is just amazing. That's an amazing thing, man. Well, where can everybody kind of follow along with you and what you do and, and what's going on in your world? Um, it's kind of cra – it's hard to follow me. I, I don't probably post as much as I should on social media, but um, HBase57 on Instagram and then HunterBase on Facebook. And I like I said, I don't post a whole lot. I'm just busy. You're busy working. I'm, I'm busy just hustling. But, yeah, that's where you can kind of follow me if you want to try to keep up with me. But – I'd love to be back on the podcast sometime. Absolutely, man. This is a place for you, bro. You yeah. can be here anytime. We appreciate you you joining us and I'm I'm really looking forward to watching you grow and all the things that you do and, and keep that passion and that heart, man. And yeah. I hope that everyone goes out and checks you out. And for everyone else, thanks for taking the ride right here on the outdoor drive. <laughs>